This is the Royals Relationship Revelations Podcast. Um, this is episode three. In episode three, we got a special guest coming here today. This is my first cousin. Um, she's also a professional in the field of mental health. I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself. Yeah, so my name is Jasmine. Like Rose said, I'm a licensed professional counselor uh, based out of Michigan. Uh, I've been in the mental health field for a little over 11 years, but have been practicing as a professional counselor for the last four years. Um, I own my own practice here in Michigan where I work with a variety of clients, uh, but I really do enjoy working with men as they uh, they navigate like relationship issues, emotional management and control. Um, working with men, it just kind of provides me an opportunity to challenge and stretch my thinking, obviously as a woman, and I get to hear like new perspectives and really tap into some of the things that they've been hiding that they haven't really recognized as being issues. So when my cousin shared, uh, his, his first episode with us, I was like, not only is it dope, but it's definitely something that a lot of people, uh, particularly men, don't really talk about. So I'm excited to be here and just have this, you know, open discussion about a variety of things, uh, relationships and attachment and how all of that is playing a part in our lives right now. So, yeah. Very true. So, um, Jazz, I think the first question I wanted to ask you was when you when you heard the first episode about the absence of my dad, what was like your initial response as far as what you was hearing coming from me as far as the emotions, the stories, the um, basically the background of, you know, why I had issues with my dad at the time? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, as being my cousin, I know some of that, but wasn't really privy to, you know, like how detrimental it for you. And so um, when I first heard it, I was just like immediately connected just to having my own personal issues with an absent father growing up as well. And just kind of like how it's something that a lot of men don't talk about, you know, um, when I think about that the guys I have in my in my practice and some of the things that go back to like this achievement and this status and like wanting to I think something that you said that stood out was that like you wanted to do the best to prove to him or make him proud and we don't even realize like what's driving that you know like it's done on a very subconscious level like there may be some times where you like like you gave the example of your football game you know, there may be times where you're like, all right, I'm doing this for him, but we don't even recognize how much of it is playing a part in our lives because it really does like shape a lot of the decision making that we do. And we don't even recognize that. So when I first heard that and I'm just like, yeah, you know, trauma wounds and attachment in childhood is a big part of like our decision making as we go through life. And until we really recognize like that's what it is. We're going to continue to make decisions uh, about like our partners and our jobs and our careers and the things that we do. It's all rooted in whatever that trauma was initially in childhood. And for you and for myself alike, and I'm sure a lot of people out there is rooted in like, how was that relationship with that primary parent, you know, growing up? So, yeah, it was definitely good. And like I said, very transparent of you to be able to be that vulnerable yeah. And share, you know, and a lot, I think a lot of men need to see that, particularly 
black men because you know as we know just mental health in the black community is is super like hush hush you know people got to feel like they got to be ready to you know do some serious damage to themselves before they go get help and it's like mm, that's not necessarily true you know right and a lot of the things people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis it's kind of just rooted in a lot of stuff that's unpacked and like you haven't had a space to be able to unpack all of that, you know, that's going on with you. So, yeah, definitely thought that those were my initial thoughts after the initial episode, for sure. Okay. Um, and, Josh, you pointed out that you, you, you know, and obviously I know this about you, but you pointed out that you went through the same thing, you know, growing up. Now that you look back at it, obviously your biological dad was not around. And so, like, as a woman, how did that kind of impact you growing up? You know, obviously, we got into my story, but also wanted to share some light, you know, on women as well. What what did that look like for you? Yeah, um, so in in an effort of time, I'll be very brief, but yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, you don't think, so, like, people think of trauma as, like, something that had to have, like, happened to you, right? The first thing people initially think is, like, you know, somebody touched you or you were abused. Um, But trauma is so much more than that, and it doesn't require that to be trauma, you know what I'm saying? And so if, you know, the trauma came from the the divorce of my parents, my parents were married, Um, they divorced, we left the state, we left Alaska, moved to Michigan, you know, and that was my life as I knew it. But in that moment, as a, a two-year-old almost turning three, um, somehow, some way, my brain kind of conceptualized this separation of my parents as if it were my fault. And so as I got older, um, you know, just even in my formative years, you know, really kind of thinking like, why didn't my dad want to be around? You know, why didn't he want to show up? He he had went off and started another family, got married. And in my brain, I had figured, okay, it must have been something I had done. I wasn't enough to keep my parents' marriage intact, which as an adult, I know that very well to be, you know, untrue. I had no bearing and no say-so in that, but that's what, you know, that's what developed. And right. so from that, everything became a thing of, if I'm looking through like my trauma lenses is what I describe it as when I'm talking to, you know, about myself or my clients, but I'm looking through my trauma lenses and my trauma wound says I'm not enough. then that means that I have to do all that I can to prove that I am in fact enough. And this was all stemming from a divorce that I had no say so in. And so, you know, it showed up in my relationships with men um, it showed up in my decision making in life. You know, we talked about we talked about in the first episode how you know you graduated from high school and college and you had all these accolades, and that's driven by this desire. Of, I have to prove myself. I have to prove that I'm worthy for your presence in my life, right? Right. And so you know, when I think about the same thing happened with me, I go to college, I move out of state, I go to college, I get a bachelor's, and then I go ahead and I get a master's. And then I go ahead and I get another master's, you know, like, so trying to do all of these things, you know, again, to prove, not really knowing, because it, it happens on a subconscious level, but to try to prove, like, I'm enough, like, you don't see, I'm doing all of these things to make you proud. Yeah. And even as an adult, I wasn't, I didn't go to school with the thought of, like, okay, I'm going to go get this degree to make my dad proud. 
But that was the trauma wound. I made all of my decisions based off of that trauma wound that happened 20 plus years ago. You know, I'm 32 and was making decisions based on how a three-year-old conceptualized her parents' divorce, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it sticks with us. Like trauma wounds stick with us. It uh, affected my relationships with the men in my life, particularly because that was my dad. Um, really brought up a lot of like attachment and abandonment issues. It affected my friendships. You know, I was very territorial. And at one point in my life, I used to brag about that. Like, oh, I'm super territorial. This is my friend. But really it was, I don't want, I need to feel needed and I need to feel wanted like you yeah. were here. And so like, I'm going to be super attached. And the moment that you, you do anything else, I'm like, well, what, you don't need me anymore? And not realizing how damaging that could be. You know, right. pushing people away um, because I didn't want to be hurt. And so, you know, or not feeling like I'm enough, you know, the whole idea of people pleasing, like not having boundaries and people pleasing just so that people won't leave me when I realized like, well, damn, you know, like you got needs over here that need to be met and you're not getting them met because you just want to people please in order to keep people around you. Because right. you that, you know, and so. It's a lot, you know, like, and it, well, like I said, when you talked about your, your desire to want to prove or make him, make him proud, make your dad proud, like, that's exactly how it was for my dad. And again, you know, I can't, I can't stress this enough. When my therapist first introduced the concept of trauma wounds to me, it was like a lot of like, this is real, you know, like, yeah. that's exactly why. And so it kind of forces you to think about like, well, dang, what other decisions have I made in my life that's been based on my trauma wounds? You right. know, and every person's trauma wound looks different. You know, my trauma wound was that I wasn't enough. And so all of my decisions were based off of I'm, I need to be enough. So I need to do enough. I need to do it all. And, you know, that caused me to be super drained. And I wanted to isolate and be by myself, you know, like wanting to push people away and again, affect how I looked at relationships. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you is that how do you feel like, you know, with this whole thing of, you know, proving yourself or needing to prove, you know, to your dad. But like, how do you think that that affected your your interpersonal relationships with women? Yeah, it it was crazy because that has fluctuated over time. But like the, in my natural state, I would say that I wanted to that like. I wanted to feel wanted. I wanted mm -hmm. to feel needed. And it it got to a point where I struggled with rejection so early on in my life. Like, yeah. and it wasn't until later, you know, I probably had to be like 23, 24 when I finally realized, like, you know, royal people are going to say no. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it's people out there that don't want you. I didn't accept that. But I just remember early on, if I was attracted to a woman, it would get to a point where I would be like, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power, you know. And, it, yo, it's so crazy for me because I was actually, and I don't mean to get off on a tangent, I was talking to my buddy the other day mm -hmm. who was a male who listened to the first podcast. And he was like, um you know, I kind of pushed people away. Like I, I kind of didn't want to, you know, any serious relationships because of, you know, my past. But me, on the other hand, I wanted like the opposite. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted the, like, I wanted the one woman, you know, relationships. I wanted the, I wanted to be the guy who, you know, did everything, did everything the right way because I was, you know, looking back on it, I was such in fear of losing mm-hmm. something that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now, like, I look back on it and I'm like, but I'm, it, it makes sense because, like, I wanted my dad to be there. You know, I wanted to do everything to keep him around. Mm-hmm. You know, so it makes sense why I look at relationships this way. And, you know, and, you know, kind of hurting myself in the process because, you know, everybody don't think that way. You know, right. and it was it was kind of hard for me to play like that in between game. Of, you know, if I choose to be in a relationship with you, this is that I'm going to give it everything I got. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember Uncle Scotty telling me, you know, in high school, he was like, Royal, when you like somebody, you like them very hard and when you love somebody you love somebody very hard and that stuck with me for the longest because it was like why why should i be penalized for giving 100 percent? you know what i'm saying when when you know i know that you know my counterparts the my my colleagues the people around me they they're not gonna give you 100 percent. so i (laughs) felt like i was a a a unicorn at the time i was Mm -hmm. like this is I, I I gotta be important. I gotta be special if I'm doing something nobody else is doing, not knowing that, you know, where that stemmed from. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny you said a unicorn because that's exactly the way I looked at myself too. And I would actually have men tell me that. And you know what that does is kind of again, going back to that trauma wound, is like it reaffirms that. But the yeah. crazy thing is is that you know, we find so we we all have this like uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. And really what that means is that we have some like underlying deep stuff rooted in the core of us. And we go looking for things to fulfill that even if on a conscious level, we're like, no, I don't want that. Like so you would never go to a woman that wouldn't appreciate you. Right. Because that ain't what you want. You would never on a conscious level be like, I'm a date women who won't appreciate you because that's not what you want. But really what is what's happening there through our trauma wounds is kind of like, I don't want that, but those those the type of people that I'm attracting. And so when mm. I attract those type of people, now I'm fulfilling this whole idea of, well, they ain't never going to appreciate. And so then we get in relationships with people who do what? Can't appreciate. Because what that's doing is just we're fulfilling. So it's it's very... It's so nuanced, you know, like we don't even understand that we're doing it. It's just kind of like one of those things that's happening until we get to a point where we take our trauma frames off and we like, all right, I got to start looking at this from a different perspective. If I'm saying I don't want to be with somebody that won't appreciate me, then I genuinely need to not look for partners that won't appreciate me because I don't want to fulfill that self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't want my deepest desires to, you know, that I'm, I'm, or my deepest fears, rather, I don't want that to come true. Yes. And so, you know, we, we, it's, it's once we know that the trauma wound is there and we recognize it and then we got to be like, all right, I got to take these glasses off. And now my behaviors just start to be different. My interactions need to look different. Like I can't move how I've moved before because before I was really just finding myself in situations that reaffirmed the negative feelings I'd already felt about myself. For you, it would have been like the negative feeling you felt from like, you know, not having your dad around yeah. in my situation. So yeah, it's, it's crazy that you said the unicorn things. I'm like, so many men have told me, like, you a unicorn. You're not, you're not like anybody else. Only for me to find out that, like, 
but y'all the same. Y'all treat me like my daddy treated me. You know, right. like I gotta prove myself to you to keep me around. Why am I having to prove my worth? Very and true. That, and that was based on again, you know, a three year old's mind of I gotta prove my worth. So right. yeah. That and Jazz, so I wanted to ask you the when you say we got to recognize that as a trauma lens, you know, especially with us being so young and dealing with that, you know, and obviously we, we grew up dealing with it. How, how do we recognize, especially as with an adolescent mind, how do we recognize that this is something that we're dealing with from our past? You know, is that for, is, is that for a child to recognize? Because I kind of struggle with that. Like if you, if you would have told me at the time, like, Roy, you got trauma from like your dad not being here. You know, I I don't even know how I would have approached that. So is that something that we need to recognize? Is that something that the people around us who are older than us who understand like we lacking in that area? You know, what what would you as far as advice in that aspect, what would you say to, you know, a younger generation of kids? Yeah, I mean, go to therapy. <laughs> That's yeah. what I could say to, you know, to people our age. To be honest, I didn't I didn't know what that was until I went to therapy, you know, and now I'm able to share that with my clients and them really be like mind blown, like, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what was going on here. No, it's not the expectation that kids recognize that. Right. Like because kids brains are still processing. No, you wouldn't have been younger royal. And somebody come to you like, oh, you got trauma from your dad. Like that wouldn't have been a concept for you. Um. So definitely in th- go to therapy is what I encourage everybody to do, um, you know, because it doesn't require anything to be necessarily wrong. It could just be, I just want to be better. But okay. for those, you know, who may be listening that, you know, have found themselves like recognizing that some things are just not, something feels off, right? Like, so it would really be kind of like how you felt, you know, when you came into the knowledge of, something's not right you know like this relationship with my dad it didn't sit well with me and it affected and so I would encourage anybody that's listening that like if you if you think back you know if you just kind of do a real quick inventory of your life and you just kind of like some stuff didn't sit right with me and that's not to say that we need to go unearthing you know every trauma or everything that we've ever been through right like I don't I don't necessarily encourage that unless it's in a safe space where you can do that um, because reliving trauma and things it can be uh it can be a task and it can be a lot you know on just our yeah. emotional and mental health and so do it in a safe space with you know under the under the supervision of like somebody professional or somebody that you trust to be able to you know pick it pick you up if you need to but you know as far as somebody young listening if you see the signs just kind of really do that inventory of like this didn't make me feel right you know like what is my trauma wound here when I introduce trauma wounds and trauma work into my with my clients um it's usually a lot of like looking at what some of those wounds are you know like I have clients that are like I've never been listened to like my trauma wound you know, my opinions didn't matter. You know, maybe you were a kid who who didn't get to have any agency in their decision making. And so now you're struggling with trying to get control. You know, I call them our control free. I'm part of it, too. You know, yeah. not being able to have control in certain areas of my life. You know, some people call it type A personalities. You know, it's 
is rooted in trauma. Like, you know, if you didn't have any type of control over an aspect of your life, you're, that's going to show up later on in your life. You know, you find yourself wanting to control everything about your life. And that's tiring and exhausting in and of itself. And so, you know, just recognizing some of those things, it's not the responsibility of a child for sure. Um, but if a parent even recognizes it, you know, bringing that conversation up, having it with your kids, you know, especially if you know that a trauma has taken place. Um, if you know that there's some like attachment or abandonment issues that may be present, like definitely bring it up and broach the conversation, uh, you know, with the child. But as an adult, like I said, a lot of these things, they didn't come into my knowledge until I got into my late 20s when I was in grad school for the second time and I'm like something going on you know and then I think a lot of people don't even recognize like what mental health issues can come from that like you know I never struggled with anxiety and and didn't know that it what it was until I got into my 20s and I'm like all right something off like what am I anxious about you know yeah really really having to deal with that and so it's so much that we don't even recognize can come from just one thing you know, like your one thing is this my relationship with my dad or the lack thereof. And so much could have developed out of that. And we don't even know that, you know, until we know. Right, so, right. Yeah. Would would you advise like younger people? Cause I know for me growing up, like the therapy, I think definitely would have been helpful. But like as far as like the financial side about it. Like you, you also got to pay for a therapist, you know, that's somebody, you know, so what would you advise for the people who are in like these low income areas, you know, who really, you know, who's struggling with the financial side of it? What would you advise for those people who can't get a therapist? Yeah. So, you know, the great thing about like the progression conversation, the more conversations people are having about mental health. Um, even just like on a lower level, not even thinking like major scale to policy change, stuff like that. I mean, I encourage, there's so many therapists out there right now, you know, myself included that have offered, you know, like sliding scales, you know, so like maybe you can't afford a hundred dollar session or maybe you don't have insurance. I always say utilize your insurance first. You don't have insurance benefits. Okay. Start looking for therapists who offer like sliding scales that means that you know based on your income this is the set amount you telling your therapist and having that honest conversation like hey i really think i could benefit from therapy i don't have the income what can we do and you know and if therapists have that availability they'll be able to do that um using like your local community mental health um i am a a true proponent of group therapy i love group work um it's something about being able to connect with other people that are in similar, you know, uh, distress as you are, just share similar interests and values. And so I'm bringing together this group of men. I did I used to have a run a men's group before COVID, but bringing together a group of men that I call it was called common and it was changing outdated masculine narratives. So like the way that people think about men and what, expectations of men like to be able to bring a group of men together and say like all right let's talk about let's have this open dialogue that's also another way to get some form of therapy um if you can't afford it on like a weekly you know individual basis um doing group therapy is great work it's usually much more discounted than like a normal session 
um, obviously, because you're there with other people. But it's, it, it does not take away from what you can gather from that. So for anybody in those areas, utilizing certain websites, uh, psychologytoday.com is a really great one to be able to look for a therapist. Like I said, that may have sliding, sliding scales mm-hmm. um, or reduced session fees. You know, it's really just a thing about like finding somebody that fits for you. I think that's the biggest part. You can you can pay somebody zero dollars and not benefit from them. You can pay people a hundred dollars and not benefit from them. You know, it's all about developing that right relationship with somebody. But definitely, you know, like utilizing the resources. Um, you know, quick Google searches will pop up a lot of stuff. You know, so yeah, I I I feel like you know, we we say we could have benefited from therapy as a kid, but I think you know the time we enter into therapy is no better time than now. You know, Very like. True. Very true. We, we didn't know. We didn't know that we would have needed therapy at that time. And to be real, you know, I talk to my mom a lot about it just with her being older. And it's just like, you know, there are probably some things that like, unless I was being abused, my mom wouldn't have known, okay, she needs to go to therapy for, you know, me and her dad getting divorced. Right. You know, because that wouldn't have been a thing. And so, you know, I think that's also part of it is like, yeah, we can say we could have benefited from it, but to be honest, I feel like I got into therapy at the right time so that I could unpack and unlearn all of the stuff that I had learned over the years that just haven't been serving me well. Right, right. Very true. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I think that's where I was at when I was younger, um, and I think you kind of brought it up with the you know whole men group sessions. It was like, it was so uncommon for a young male to address his emotions, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of, like, even the the minimal interactions that I had with my dad, it was like, you know, the don't cry, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, get up if you hurt, which, you know, to an extent I understand, but that also made me kind of swallow the, the actual emotions that I was feeling. It yeah. was like, you know... I, it it bothered me and like still to this day I'm hesitant on it, but like mm-hmm. I'm more I'm definitely more open than I was at the time. And so I definitely think I I wanted to ask you that. Why why do you think and in, in your opinion from what you're saying, and I see it happen so many times, especially from a dad to a son, not just in the in the black community, but a lot of communities. Why do you think it is so common to have you know, older men tell them, you know, kind of, you know, deal with your emotions on the inside because externally it's looked at as soft or it's it's looked at as, you know, uh, a a woman's trait. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, a few different things and this comes up so much, but, you know, depending on who you're asking, you know, um, you'll get people that say, you know, uh, that's what I was learned. You know, that's what I was taught. That's how my daddy raised me, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's what, that's all I know. And to some extent, that's very much true. I always, you know, encourage people to kind of just look like maybe people were just doing the best with the information and the knowledge that they had. Right. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. I'm raised like that, that's all I know. Then when it comes, you know, there's no, there's no book that they give you when parents give birth and be like, all right, this is how you raise your kid. You know, a lot of that comes from, I just got to draw my own lived experiences with this. Um, but a 
another part of it, and this is more so something that I feel is relatively new, is that um, I think it's because the parent doesn't know how to manage that on their own. And so how I'm going to manage it if my kid bringing it to me, you know? So, like, I don't know how to manage these emotions. I ain't never had a space to do that. I never was given the privilege to talk about my emotions, to be vocal, to feel anything other than anger. Like, I never had that. So how am I expect me to to deal with my kid if they present that way to me? And so I think it's a part of that as well. Um, a lot of parents didn't have that, you know, like yeah. even when I think about our family structure, do I think that like granny and granddaddy were like, you know, y'all can't cry or anything like that? Obviously, they had all daughters, but, you know, it probably also wasn't an environment that was like super welcoming like we're making it known that you can come to us and 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 express any emotion you feel like i don't i just don't think that that's real you Mm -hmm. know and it wasn't the case at the time and so when i think about men and the messages that they're sending their sons in particular um it's damaging because then those sons grow up to be men who don't know how to emotionally express and then they end up with women who are emotionally expressive and are looking for that man to be emotionally expressive because they probably got daddy issues of their own. And then everybody getting let down because nobody can fulfill the need of the other. Mm, And so, you know, you going into a relationship and you're not emotionally expressive and you wink with somebody that has their own daddy issues and are looking, looking for that just the same way that you will be looking for some type of security or whatever it is you need in, or feeling wanted or needed and appreciated. Um, it's just like a it's a it's a problem waiting to happen right. unless, you know, you two have worked on your own and realize, like, OK, I got some stuff that's messed up. You got some stuff that's messed up. We're going to go ahead and get this together, figure this out and then come back together once we have a better understanding. But, yeah, I think a lot of it really is just is rooted in like, I don't really I didn't know. I don't know how to manage this. I wasn't taught to manage this. So this is all that I'm, I'm, I know. I know how to tell you the, the only time you can cry is at a funeral. I think you said in your first episode, like you only cried a handful of times. Yeah. So, you know, those are the acceptable emotions. You know, I work with a lot of men who come to therapy and are like, you know, I want help with my anger. And it always, you know, I'm always intrigued when they say that because I identify anger as being like a secondary emotion, right? Yeah. So anything that you come across, you we could probably identify like 98% of the time I could go through with somebody and be like, okay, but tell me how you were really feeling. And I'll give them a feeling sheet and they'll start looking and they like, well, I felt emasculated or I felt hurt. I felt rejected, you know, describing all of these emotions that we feel. And then they're realizing that it only turned into anger when I didn't express what it was that I was really feeling. Mm. So, you know, somebody that's rejected, feeling rejected, they're nine times out of ten not angry. They feel rejected. But if I don't express to my partner or to the person that I'm feeling rejected by if I don't express that then it's gonna turn into anger because I didn't I didn't address it it's it's in direct opposition of what I'm truly feeling and so that's such a big part of like when men come into therapy the first thing I'm pulling out is like all right let's look at some emotions and they like well you know, like, I'm angry and I'm like oh, okay I hear you but <laughs> you're really not angry you know you hurt and it's okay right. you know I got a policy in my office that's like 
there's no stifling tears because when we, you say it like you hold stuff in and you like, you know, you, you manage your emotions within, but it's like, but that's not normal. You interrupting and disrupting a natural process, a natural response to things. So if you sad, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad and not cry for sure. But if you sad and tears want to fall, what we holding them back for? Yeah. You know, let them out. So allow yourself to feel that stuff because if not, then what you're telling your brain is we can't respond in these situations. And so our brain keeps track of that stuff. So like, oh, you didn't cry? When this seemed like something we should have been crying about? Okay, well, now our brain gonna tell us the next time it come up, don't cry. And you trying to figure out like, well, damn, why I can't cry in this? You know, like I should be crying, right? Or I should right. be sad. But our brains, we, we, we are training our brains so much every time we deny ourselves. And it's just, what it really boils down to is like, we got to learn to be honest and be honest with ourselves about what it is that we feel. And if we feeling hurt, we need to say we hurt. If we feeling rejected, if we're feeling, you know, not heard, if we're feeling, you know, overlooked, we need to say those things so that we tell our bodies, this is what I'm feeling instead of I'm feeling angry. When it's like, no, you feeling something else. And, and if your default is set to I'm just angry and you're you're going to respond that way. Our our emotions is a whole big process. Our emotions, they go with our thinking and our thinking influences our behavior. So if you telling your brain I'm angry all the time, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be that bad kid, you know, acting out. You're going to yeah. be the one that's punching holes in the wall because you're telling your brain you're angry when really you sad. Because right. a sad person don't respond the same way as an angry person. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's damaging for sure, you know, to get back to the original. It's damaging for sure when men tell their sons, you know, don't cry or don't show any emotion. When, in fact, we should just be encouraging, like, tell me how you really feel. You know, like, I may or may not even be able to help you with that, but at least you get to be honest with yourself and how it is that you feel. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Jazz, you, I mean, you touched on something that I literally, I mean, I didn't come across this probably until a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. I remember being in a moment of me, like being upset about something. And I'm saying upset now. I was probably sad about something. But my body wanted to do something, but my mind was fighting it so much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was, and I was like, I, I was literally having like an internal battle of, Okay, my body telling me one thing, my mind telling me one thing, but I'm going to just go with the the default. I'm going to go with what I naturally do, and I'm going to get upset, and I'm going to internalize it. You know, I'm not going to communicate. I think that's one big thing that I hear you saying throughout, you know, this entire episode is, like, communication. Like, whatever type of communication that is, whether it's verbal, whether it's emotional, like, you know, I, I feel like men should... We got to get to a standpoint where we like, okay, we should be okay with letting this out. Our sons, our sons should be okay with letting this out, you know, and they should see, we should have people who model this for us, you know, and we do this for each other a lot. We just don't do it in that, that aspect. You know, we don't do it emotionally. And I think, I don't know, man, that was a lot. You, you you touched on some good stuff for sure. And I, I definitely appreciate that, you know, because I've always wanted to know, you know, why isn't it, you know, that we can't dive into the, the emotional part of that. 
Yeah, and I mean, and it, like I said, it's growth. You know, look for opportunities to grow in that area. You know, if you got people in your life, people whose opinions that, that you value, um, not just anything on body, but people's opinions that you value, that you take to heart, really just kind of looking at it and being like, okay, I hear you. You know, if I tell you like, hey, you we better like, you know, I'm not being heard, you know, and you be like, you know what, you're right. Like, because that's the issue. That's the area of concern for me. I'm not hearing you. Let me learn how to be a better listener and not listening because I'm trying to answer. You know, it just, it goes through, like I said, affecting our relationships with people and not even just like on a romantic level like it can affect our friendships it can affect our workspaces our our relationships with our family members like if we don't learn how to communicate effectively and learn what it is like what we're feeling and and really say that then we we just gonna always find ourselves at odds with the people in our lives right very true mm-hmm. Very true. Well, Jazz, you know, I appreciate you coming on. And of course. This. It was well needed, you know, and I, I think people are going to learn a lot from this. Can you kind of give us, you know, I, I know you got your own um, Instagram um, and social media sites. Can you kind of give us, you know, the details on that in case we ever need to um, look for something, you know, that's going to help us get through some some times? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, you know, social media, I got a back and forth relationship. I'm either on or I'm completely off, um, right. <laughs> um, you know, self-care. But I, I do have a website. Um, the name of my practice is A Better Me Therapy. Um, so my website is www.abettermetherapy.com. Um, I do have an Instagram page as well. A Better Me Therapy is the is the name of it. Um, like I said, I'm based in Michigan, so I only currently see clients in Michigan. However, you know, I've had people reach out. Um, I had done a presentation to a group of young women in Texas and I had people reach out, you know, and if I can't be, I always say if I can't be what gets you connected, like, or I, if I can't be the one who services you, I'm going to get you connected to somebody who can. And so even if somebody is just like reaching out and looking for like some additional support, I can definitely point you in the right direction, even if I can't be the person that you, you know, you speak to on a consistent basis. But definitely uh, visit my website. You know, I have a a way to contact myself on there. Um, And yeah, if anybody needs some additional support, like I say, you know, reach out. Find somebody, you know, somebody that knows somebody that can get you in contact with the therapist or at least, you know, get you in a way or like, all right, I got to start better, you know, like. We are we in our 30s. We growing. We want coming in a new knowledge of ourselves and who we are and who we want to be. And we realize like those two don't meet right now, but they can. And so, yeah. you know, it's always hope. Nobody's ever too far gone from hope uh, to be able to kind of just change and want to do better in their lives and, and do better with the people in their lives. So, yeah. Well, no. Well, well thank you again, Jazz. And that's. That will conclude episode three. We thank you for tuning in um, and get ready for episode four next week. Absolutely. All right. All right.